Welcome to Live Happily Ever Awesome. Join me and PACT certified therapist Julie Rappaport where we discuss relationships, learn how to bring the magic back to yours, and become a better partner. To join the discussion live, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at Clydesdale Media. Sign up for notifications so you can call in with your questions or just join the chat. Be sure to like and share these episodes with your partner and friends. The following presentation is not therapy or a substitute for therapy. If you are experiencing a mental health emergency, please call 911. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello. Here we are. Thanks to everyone in the chat waiting for us. A um, little technical difficulties. Scott bailed me out and uh, hopefully we'll be able to take calls and you guys can hear me okay. Uh, we have Julie Rappaport, PAC certified therapist here with us this week. Episode five? Right. Episode five. Um, my mind was blown the very first time we talked about um, attachment styles and how that theory of how you were bonded with your primary caretaker sort of can shape how you deal with relationships in the future. And I think a lot of people were very intrigued by that. And we've decided to break down some of those common styles of attachment so that we can sort of dig deeper into them because we always mention them every week and people have a lot of questions about them and we never really get to dig deeper into them. So today is the day. Julie, which attachment style are we going to learn about today? Uh, we're going to learn about the anxious attachment style. And there's, you know, you got to realize that there are, you know, books that are written about attachment. And, and so, you know, this is, you know, we're going to cover as much as we can in this small period, but, um, you know, it's like well-researched about and goes in depth. And so trying to just give um, as much as an overview as possible, but also if you have specific questions, like feel free to drop those in the chat or call and so that I could specifically uh, address that, that might kind of help to hone it a bit. Um, but it, it, there, I'm going to just write this of like, um, I've got a little board that I'm going to, um, so there's four different types of attachment. Um, and I'm just going to write these down so that you guys can see. Um, so there's um, secure and in um, hold on, in pack terms, and that's the work that I do. Um, we call those anchors. Then there's anxious and we call those Waves. What are they? A boy. Waves. Waves. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, avoidant attachment. We call them islands. And then okay. there's disorganized, and that's just kind of in and of itself a, a, a separate kind of um, category. It's a lot of that kind of can have to do with um, a lot of trauma. Um, They're like so, the typhoons. What'd you say? They're typhoons, monsoons, typhoons, hurricanes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. islands, waves. 
disorganized. It sounds chaotic. To yeah. Me. Now, just to be clear, like we don't, as clinicians, hopefully, hopefully, uh, we don't sit there and label our our couple uh, in session and say, "Well, you're a wave," or "Oh, you're an island," you know, um, mm-hmm. because you know there's there's tendencies as well as you know nobody really likes to be pigeonholed, but it it just helps to. Um, when you know these things about yourself, then you can, as well as your partner, it's better, you're better able to understand, you're better able to cater to their needs, uh, as well as your own, and kind of understand one another better. Sure, that makes sense. Is it fair to say, though, that people primarily fit into one of those four? Is Is it common to see people sort of straddling a couple of those, depending on their upbringing or what you discover? Yeah, I mean, it's you can have kind of a mishmash. Uh, Sometimes you could have, you know, two islands in a relationship and they could act very islandy. Or you could have two islands in a relationship and one is like a more severe island and therefore kind of trumps the other one. And so then the other one starts to look more wavish. So um, it's, it's you just got to kind of go with what's presenting as well as you know you might get into a different relationship and then something else gets triggered so then you're acting you know and behaving a totally different way so it's kind of it's it's an interesting puzzle and uh so that's you know clinicians are hopefully well versed enough to help piece it all together yeah sounds fun okay okay so the anxious attachment. Um, so I'm, I just figured I was going to help draw something with regards to anxious attachment. So anxious attachment, we'll just start off with like the typical, a typical, so this would not, not this would be, we'll erase this. Um, this would be like a, an ideal scenario where this is caregiver. I'm going to make you, I'm going to try to make you bigger here. Let's do this so that people can see you. How do I do that? Oh boy. There There you go. And this is baby. Okay. So caregiver ideally has, it's not a chocolate chip cookie, but has all of these resources. So it's very well resourced. Um, and when that happens, caregiver, what do you mean by that? When the caregiver has is resourced. What does that mean? Um, they they um, are grounded in themselves. Perhaps they've done a lot of therapy. Perhaps they have a therapist. They have friends. They have you know um, an outlet like maybe athletics or gym or, you know, self-care in that way. They work, they have all these different things that are fueling them. And this so is when we think not, we're talking about like a mom or dad or really. Um, correct. And the, so they're getting replenished from the outside of these resources, right? Yep. So these resources replenish them which are these black marks. So then ideally, since they're real resource, they then can give, so baby comes in with maybe one or two resources. 
they then can give to baby to fill baby up. And, you know, when these get, when she's, she or we'll just say mom, we'll just say mom in this case, when mom is giving, you know, taking away these resources, she's getting replenished from the outside so that she's not depleted, right? This is ideal. Okay. And this would probably create a more secure functioning uh, individual as the baby. Okay. Um, what oftentimes happens with anxiously attached individuals is this is caregiver. Baby, baby has, comes in this way. And the caregiver is under-resourced. So they either, they just don't have these things that replenish them. So either they're immature or they're just, uh, they just don't have good self-care, whatever it is. Um, and intuitively the baby knows this and looks at the situation and says, oh crap, um, what am I gonna do here? Because I need, but mom, again, we'll just go with mom, mom doesn't have to give to me. So what baby does intuitively, there's three things that it does, it can do. One, it can give to mom with the idea of if mom is then filled, so I'll give what I have of me. And then if mom is more resourced, then she hopefully can give back to me. So it kind of sets up a give to get. Okay. Um, the other thing, that can happen and it can be all three of these two um is that baby says oh crap mom is under resourced not gonna be able to give to me so i just i just won't have any needs i just don't have any needs because if i don't have any needs i won't deplete mom and therefore i'm good okay so like a self-preservation type. Yep. Situation. Survival. 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 Mm -hmm. This is all based on survival. The other thing that can happen is, um, hmm, mom is under resource. She can't meet my needs. I'll just meet my own needs. Nobody else is going to be able to meet them. So I'll just meet my own. So those are kind of, I would say, the three things that anxious, and, and, and we call them anxious avoidant. So if I mix match anxious and anxious avoidant, just know that they're, they're one and the same, even though there's another category called avoidant. Mm -hmm. um, so anxiously, that, that kind of is um, something that, that people who are anxiously attached uh, yes, stressed mom, stress help, you know, stressed out mom, overwhelmed mom is an under-resourced mom. Um, so they will kind of, they could filter through. Mm -hmm. uh, either I meet my own needs, I have no needs, or or I've, I'm unaware of any needs, or I'll meet my, you know, somebody else's needs. I'll take care of them with the hopes that they'll take care of me. Take care of me. Yeah. Wow. Okay. 
So then give us some examples or things that can go sort of sideways in relationships if you are one of these people. Well, what happens, you know, I mean, that in, in, if we look at the scenarios where it didn't go so well with it, with an under-resourced mom, um, oftentimes the, the child then has to kind of, and this happens because the, when we're just going with mom rather than primary caregiver, I'm just going to say mom just for the sake sure. of mom, you know, making it easier, but it could be dad, it could be whoever your primary caregiver was. Um, mom is kind of seen, it comes across a little bit immature. Uh, she doesn't necessarily have a good relationship with her partner, um, in which case she has no one to rely on. So oftentimes then the kid becomes the confidant, um, in which case that helps, that makes the kid grow up faster than they should. Um, they kind of have to become a little, a little adult. Um, they get told things that they may not, they probably shouldn't know. They, uh, you know, kind of bad boundaries. Um, they, they then wind up having to take care of that parent. Um, and so that's kind of, that's the wrong order, right? The parent needs to take care of the child. And, and so as a result, um, the kid, rightfully so, grows up with some resentment um, because they got ripped off. Their childhood got ripped off. Um, they didn't just get to be a kid. And while they kind of could get kudos for being the special person that mom confides in or whatever, it comes at a, a big price. And um, so there, there's another piece to this whole thing with their upbringing, but I'll, I'll come back to that. But um, if that's the scenario, then they enter into a romantic relationship uh, with that baggage, with that resentment. Um, and they tend to choose partners where that gets replayed, where they're having to take care of that other person, where they're... Um, it's not really fair where they are kind of um, the responsible one. They are, you know, kind of over-functioning um, and then they're pissed off about it. Um, and so it's a, yes, there's the thing that's going on in the relationship, but it's also, there's the baggage from the past that's then getting, it's like the relationship just kind of added on to the shit pile that was already there. And so that's um, a setup for it not going so well. And so part of, part of that piece is helping that person to grow up um, because they're kind of stuck in this um, life was unfair kind of child piece of them and um, helping them to kind of just, and the other piece is that they don't necessarily know their needs. They know what everybody else needs because that's what how they had to orient. Um, but they don't really know what they need, but then they expect their partner to know what they need. Um, so they kind of live in this fantasy zone of you should know what I need and why don't you? And I'm pissed that you don't because the, you know, on some level, is that's the parent's job growing up 
is to try to anticipate, is to try to know and see your child, attune is what we call it, attune to your child so that you can give them what they need. Um, and again, they're pissed that they didn't get that. Yeah. Um, there's So the other piece that I was talking about is oftentimes too, that can be raised with their, their primary caregiver is inconsistent. Some days, uh, you know, it's like some days they could, like maybe the kid draws uh, like a picture and is super excited to come and show the mom. So mm -hmm. they come and they're all excited and they're like, hey, look, and the mom is preoccupied or overwhelmed or whatever um, and is like, you know, kind of shut them up, shut, choose them away, or is like, Ugh, I don't have time for that, whatever. And then another time they might come with the picture and the mom is really um, kind of glomming a little bit more. So it's like, there could be two extremes and the kid never knows where, what it's gonna get. Um, so in relationship, uh, you know, again, for better or for worse, we tend to choose things that we're trying to repair things from our childhood. Um, and so we, those people might choose partners that have a hard time with consistency. So then it strikes up those wounds again. So uh, in working with somebody that has this um, template, if you're in a relationship with somebody who had, was raised with inconsistency, you have got to be consistent. You have to be consistent, otherwise you're gonna just get. Who, who's gone? Can you guys see me or can you hear Julie? <laughs> I'm not sure if it's my internet or her internet. If you guys in the chat can tell me, that would be awesome. There you are. Was it me? Sorry, I don't know. I know it might be me. I don't know. Who Sorry. was it, guys? Tell us who was. We can see Pat and hear you, but Julie's frozen. Okay, phew. Thank God it's not me. It's usually me. So <laughs> I feel good about it. Great, great. I'm gone. So, I'm gone. But you were saying so the last thing I heard was super important for people of this attachment style to have a partner who's consistent. Consistency is really key. Yes. And that if they say they're going to do something, that they do it. And if you can't do it because we're human and, and life happens, that you revisit the fact that you didn't do what you said you were going to and you're sorry and you need to, or, or hopefully before it happens, if you're like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll take the trash out. And then you're realizing, oh shit, I can't take the trash out, is that hopefully before that happens, you say, hey, I'm realizing that um, I committed to this. And that, and yet it turns out that with my schedule, that's impossible to do before I leave for work or whatever. So can we renegotiate? Or if you do mess it up afterwards is to say, hey, I know I said I would take out the trash and I'm really sorry that I didn't do that. I'll do that when I get home or whatever. Is If you acknowledge it, it will go a long way. But oftentimes the people that um, you know, these, these anxious people, anxiously attached people wind up with, they have a very difficult time with consistency and, and cause they're more avoidant. And so with them, when they do something that they said they were going to do and they didn't follow through, then they feel really bad and they just try to avoid saying anything, which then makes things worse. So, um, 
that would, if you are more avoidant and you're with somebody who's more anxiously attached, I would just say, try your best to really stay consistent. And if you can't, then be preemptive, you know, try to renegotiate an agreement or apologize when you mess up and, and try to fulfill it when you can. Yeah. Do people actually renegotiate taking out the trash? Because I know that was, hopefully that was just an example because I cannot imagine getting upset about someone not taking out the trash. Well, it's, having you know, to again, it. again, it's uh, oftentimes, you know, what people come in with is their complaints for therapy is not what it's about. It's not about the trash. It's right. about somebody feeling like you're never, you, you agree to things and then you don't do it. And so then it gets played out around the trash. Yeah. That's good. Um, okay. So Scott had a big question. So let's get this on the screen here so we can take a look at it. What happens when one partner has a perceived resource need for the child and the other partner has a different perception perception and now partner one is giving so much of themselves they become under-resourced. And what happens when partner one partner has a perceived resource need for the child? I don't I don't necessarily maybe understand the what question. he means is that like maybe one parent is over parenting in terms of what they're giving, how they're resourcing their kids. Oh uh, like hot helicopter parent or what? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Scott, let's see. <laughs> Jody says, my husband doesn't let me take out the trash. He's another example, right? Sketches. <laughs> Fishes. Yeah, Fishes. Scott, if you could. Oh, Ooh, we have a phone call. You ready? Let's see if I can figure this out. Scott, are you there? Hold on. Let me put you on the right audio. Can you guys hear um, anonymous caller, Mr. S? This is this is Mr. S. Hi, Mr. You're S. live on here, Mr. S. Uh, so yes, helicopter parenting for sure. So um, um, I think that you'll go ahead. I was going to say, and then parent one is so under resourced because of the helicopter parenting that it creates a divide between the partners. Yeah, so uh, I think one, uh, I think it kind of comes back to, there's some discord in how to parent probably. Uh, uh, they're not on the same page with how to parent. And, and so that would be, otherwise I think it would not be draining of resources. It would be, oh, both of them parent this way and they're in, in, in accordance and that's how it goes. So resources aren't drained. But if only one person is parenting that way, I would almost guarantee that the other person has a problem with how they parent. Does that, does that feel yeah. like it makes sense? Uh, it does make sense, yeah. I yeah, so then uh, that- I should have asked this question. <laughs> Go ahead. I probably should have asked this question before my daughter was in college. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that if that couple were to come, this mysterious couple were to come in um, to my office, I probably would then just 
I wouldn't talk about the under-resourcing. I would talk about, do they agree on how to parent and have them take that up? Because that's going to always cause discord if they're not on the same page with how to parent. Right. Do you, are you of the opinion, um, Julie, that parents should put their relationship before their children or should they put their children before their relationship? Or, or as long as both parents are on the same page, does it matter? I mean, we could, we, we could do a show on that one, but, um, but, you know, it's again, like we talked about PACT and how the PACT principle, you know, we guide them towards something called secure functioning. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, if, if the couple agree that, hey, the kids come first, we come second, or we come third, fourth, fifth, um, that's great in the sense that they agree on it. Um, however, there's undoubtedly going to be resentment. There's just, you know, if the kids always are taking priority over, you know, your partner, one person or the other will get resentful. It just, it, it almost always happens. Um, like that you guys existed before this child existed. Why wouldn't you be at the top of the hierarchy? And if that, if your relationship is going well, you prioritize one another it will be going well and it will trickle down into the children so i mean as a parent like of course your children are like your heart and soul like you're going to prioritize them if they're ever in danger or you know but in terms of do they come before your partner um they can if that's what you guys agree upon but it's not i don't see that going well it's not ideal I mean, it's ideal if it works for them. Yeah, it, it, it's ideal if it works for them. But I have not seen. I have seen couples agree that it's okay to not prioritize themselves or, and one another, and that the kids come first. And then inevitably, like in another session or two, something comes up where that is challenged as it's not actually working. So. Um, that's what I would say to that. Is it, if it works for you, great. That's great. Yeah, Scott, no harm. Don't, don't change it if it isn't broken kind of thing. I was just going to say that was a great follow-up, and I'll just hang up and let the conversation keep going. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, that's always – I mean, I know um, I know for me growing up, that was seemed to be always a point of contention between my parents was I feel like my mom put us first, the children first, um, and my dad probably put his career first and, you know, they, they did not end in success either. I think they lasted about 17 years and, um, it's just interesting to see. And even as a child growing up in that environment, you, you see what, what that's like. And then, you know, sometimes you go down that same path when you have your own kids and you're in your own marriage. So yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it oftentimes a really great illustration of this is if, you have the kids and one of the parents is fighting, you know, they're having an argument with one of the kids and the other parent then comes in and sides with the child or children. Um, or, or how about if the spouse doesn't just does nothing but observes? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's number so one, like, doing something, it's giving the message to their partner, they're on their own. 
if they do that, like, good luck, you're on your own. Like, why are they, why are they with you if they're on their own? And two, if they come and, and side with the children because they're prioritizing the children and they think the children are not being treated well or whatever, um, that is not going to go well because that other parent then you're playing you're playing good cop the other parent is then going to be bad cop and that is just nobody wants to be bad cop nobody wants to be the bad guy um and you really have it's it's about teaching the couple to how can you support one another even if you don't agree with how they're handling something how can you be on their side you come in you regulate them and then you get out of there you know it's like you have to know that your partner well enough that you can regulate them and then, you know, and leave so that they feel like, wow, you had my back and now I can actually be in human brain and talk with my child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's interesting here. Let's see what, let's see what Judy has to say. Oh, my old lady eyes. Child centric marriages are why we have a lot of issues in society today where people cannot understand why the entire world is revolved around them. Yes, yes the, the entitled, entitled children. Yeah. The society yeah, now. I was always the good guy. Yeah. <laughs> Scott was bad cop. Yeah, it definitely does create some resentment. Absolutely. And yeah. when, you know, you feel like, um, you know, you're not only on your own, but you've been thrown under the bus. And so then the children kind of are then in the middle. They have to, they have to kind of take a side. And that sometimes can be, um, you know, the one that's playing the good cop somehow is getting something out of like, hey, I want to be seen in this light as the good cop. And it's important for me that you see me as the good one. Right. Um, yeah. Which, you know, well, nobody, I think that's not going to go well. Yeah. And I think kids are smarter than we give them credit. And I think a lot of times, too, they, they oftentimes will lose respect for a parent that doesn't, that can't, you know, put their foot down or you know, be a little more stern or have boundaries with them. I feel like, you know, they can get away with more. And, and I think in the long run, at least being an adult, looking back at my own childhood, thinking, you know, that, that, that doesn't necessarily warrant a whole lot of respect from the child to the parent. No, no. It, it, it's like creating a, like you're their friend rather than you're their parent. And yes, yeah. you can be their friend as their parent, but your responsibility is not to make them like you. Your responsibility is to protect them and keep them safe in a, in an age appropriate way. Yeah. Raise responsible humans is kind of how I see it. Like not raise assholes. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying really hard not to raise assholes. Some people's kids, you know. <laughs> what, um, so the dynamic with kids, cause I, you know, you're a couples counselor. You probably see couples that don't have kids, couples that do have kids. Um, I would imagine kids really complicate the relationship dynamic. And I mean, do we see sort of like better successes with couples that don't have children or does that come with a whole host of other issues? And maybe the fact that they don't have children is one of the issues. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. And good point. I mean, there, I, I would say that it might not be as complicated maybe um you know it's a little less it tends to be if there's less cooks in the kitchen right then there's mm -hmm. um then it's more some you know it's more simple um so i think kids add in this just extra piece that of you know 
draining, you know, taking up resources and taking, you know, there's, you got to drive them here and drive them there and they've got this and they've got that and you've got your life and, you know, where does your partnership come in? Um, so it's, it's a little bit more convoluted and complex. Um, I don't know if success rate is, I don't know those statistics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just wondered maybe from your own experience and, and then, okay. So I'm trying to get back to the, uh, the anxious folks do, mm-hmm. do anxious attached people tend to be good cops or bad cops? Mm-hmm. That's, I don't know that answer. Or is there a correlation? Um, they can look a little, they can, they can look a little hysterical at times. They can look a little irrational. They can look, uh, because they're more, they're more vocal with their complaints, with their kind of dissatisfactions. Um, Mm -hmm. and because of that resentment and, (laughs) um, because of their resentments, then they're just, you know, they're more vociferous about things. And because they can, if they are with somebody who's more avoidant, that person can look like they're just kind of, they're not doing anything wrong. And, you know, the person who's more anxiously attached feels often, you know, has kind of this abandonment uh, wound and so when they are paired with somebody who's more avoidant, again, they're going to feel that abandonment. And so they, but they, um, let's just take the example of the, you know, having an agreement broken. And this would probably be a consistent pattern of inconsistency um, where the anxiously avoidant, uh, anxiously attached person is just up to their limit of like, God, I'm having to do everything. You drop the ball. I either have to do it for you because otherwise it doesn't get done. So then I become your mom or I leave it and I get pissed off that it's not being done. So it's, you know, this catch 22, but they're just seething. And so, um, you know, and they just think like, why aren't you just following through on what you said you were going to do? And so oftentimes that person can look just, um, angry and, you know, just, just angry all the time. And Mm -hmm. so they could look like a bad, bad guy, I guess, in that way. Um, Maybe not the bad guy in terms of parenting, but just the, you know, just kind of like, oh, mom's always angry. Why is she so angry all the time? Not taking into consideration that it's, um, you know, a system that uh, the other person is looking really good because they're just, Hey, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting here. And uh, yeah, that's the problem is that you're, you're enraging that other person because you're not actually stepping up to the plate and meeting them. And they feel abandoned. That's interesting. Okay. So tie this in a bow for us. Hmm. Let's see. How do I tie it in a bow? Is there, are, is there hope for these, uh, these avoidant, or these anxious attached folks to have a oh, relationship? Yeah. yeah, totally. Oh yeah, totally, totally, totally. There, it is not grim at all. I mean, it's, 
extremely common and, um, you know, really they just, they, what they, I think they need from a partner is consistency. So, you know, kind of holding, you know, really being able to talk to your partner about like, hey, I grew up with inconsistency. So this drives me absolutely crazy when, if it happens this, this way. And so can you work this way with me? The other thing they're sensitive to is abandonment. So uh, oftentimes just reassuring them, hey, I love you so much. You're the only one for me here. You know, that uh, if they can, they can get that, it's really um, nice for them. Um, or you're so important to me. That's a nice thing to say to them because they didn't feel that important in their childhood. Everybody else was more important than them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, really nice thing for them also, and this is more convoluted than this, but um, I'll just give a, the, the overview, is to just ask them what they need um, because nobody ever did that. It was always about what everybody else needed. So, um, and, and that, that person that's anxiously attached oftentimes doesn't have any idea. And so just taking your time to think about what do you need in that moment? Not like, what do you need globally? What do you need, you know, esoterically? What do you need right here, right now? And, um, and, and if you can ask them, what do they need right here, right now, keeping them in the present moment? Um, and having, and sitting with them, if they say, I have no idea, because they probably don't, um, Mm -hmm. because nobody ever asked them, right? Um, But just keeping them in the moment, because oftentimes they will say something like, well, I just need you to like, you know, be better on these agreements. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. But what do you need right now? Right. And then oftentimes, if you give them enough time and support and just stay with them, they will come up with something. And that's an important skill that it, every adult needs to have. Okay. Um, Bruce wants to know if you've read the book, The Five Love Languages, or do you know about the different love languages? He asked it in the chat, so people are responding, but are you there? Are you frozen? I think she's frozen. <laughs> My internet, I think it's- the five love languages. That would be a good topic, actually, to talk about, like people and, and their love languages. I'd be interested to hear a little bit about that. So maybe uh, that can be a future topic, Bruce. Um, I like that as well. What was so, the topic? Sorry, I missed it. Uh, the five love languages. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good one. That is a good one. Okay, so... Um, yeah, what do you need from me in this moment, Kenneth? That's perfect. Exactly. Not just what do you need. Um, so you gave us some advice on if we're dealing with someone who is anxious, attached, how to treat, how you know, how to better deal with them. Are there some things that anxious attached people can do to help their situation or make life a little easier for them in their relationship? And then we'll probably just wrap up. Yeah, I mean it's it- you have to understand that their orientation is always out, 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 external, Mm -hmm. external, external. Um, And so, you know, really coming back home and what happens, you know, we talked about saying no to just being able to say no to somebody, even when you can do it. Um, And what does that bring up for them? And um, 
and actually asking yourself, what do I need? What, what, and where is the I? Because they're very oriented out. A lot of times there is no here. And so, um, kind of sensing into their body, uh, working, you know, journaling, how do you come up with, what do you need, um, in order and not what does everybody else need? And then you get resentful. Right. So that would kind of be the guide. Um, and then last question from Jody Lynn here. Is it safe to say that actually attached partner will have a hard time asking for help, assuming uh, resulting in undue frustration? Uh, yeah, oftentimes uh, anxiously attached individuals can be, you know, they're just, uh, they're, a lot of times they're go-getters. They, they can do a lot. And they don't realize that they're overwhelmed until they're overwhelmed kind of thing. Like there's no real ramp up. Um, and it's because they're just, they, they had to kind of do everything themselves and as well as take care of everybody else as a kid. And so they are prone to overwhelm. And usually that comes from a parent who was prone to overwhelm, therefore under-resourced. Um, so it circles back around. So yes. Um, so it, it is learning how to ask for help. Um, if you're in, but if you, again, going back to the, when we started of like, I don't have any needs. Like if that was a part of your coping strategy, um, it's going to be hard for, to ask for help because you don't need anything. Right. So getting some support, you know, maybe from an individual therapist and such to really start to realize number one we all have needs we come into this world needy we are not fully developed beings um and so therefore we're highly dependent and that continues through our whole life and um so and then just really honing in like number one realizing that is totally okay realizing that the probably rage uh that comes from uh not realizing that you have or not having needs and not getting them met and coping in the way that you did and then um beginning to really realize like figure out what are my needs what do i need and um that will give you a, a uh, like a a touchstone that you probably never had before which will feel really really good i love it awesome well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. We are back next week at our normal time noon, barring any, you know, snowstorms or doctor's appointments or whatever else we have. We have we have lives and families and things that we have to take care of. Um, so thanks for hanging with us this guys this week and um, accommodating this later time for us. Um, next week is which attachment style? Avoidant? I think it's avoidant. We lost Julie. Julie's already checked out because <laughs> she knew we were finishing up. Um, I think it's avoidant. Check the uh, thumbnail. I'll get out something. I think it's already out on YouTube. Episode six is coming then. Thanks guys for watching and tuning in and we will see you guys all next time on Living Happily Ever Awesome. Mm -hmm.